Good morning to you. Oh, this is, I, I love this service. These are the, you are the faithful people. <laughs> just love this service. It's all the morning people are here. It's awesome. It's not a very humble way to start, but uh, that's the theme for today. Humility is the theme. We talked about pride last week. And uh, as I was thinking about uh, preparing this, I, I had to face the fact that, you know, we, we do not live in a culture that applauds humility. We live in a one-up culture where I want to outsmart, outperform, outearn, outaccumulate you. That's the culture we live in. And uh, the, the window on our cultural world is all, always um, most clearly seen by the commercials that you will see on TV. There's this one commercial that's come up uh, quite a few times that I've seen. It's a USAA, that's an insurance company. It's a, it's a commercial for their company and promoting people to um, use them as, for their insurance. And um, the, this one commercial centers around a, a man, older man by the name of Martin. Martin has a house and his house is hit with a hailstorm. And you see this damage done by this hailstorm. The roof is damaged and needs, needs complete uh, replacement. Car windows are broken. Tree limbs are strewn across his, his lawn, and but he is a USAA insurance holder, and USAA is, is the one that comes alongside him. You see him talking to the insurance agent. You see workers on his roof replacing his entire roof. His car windows have been replaced, and, and toward the end of the commercial, he's sitting with this extended family in his beautiful backyard restored because USAA has come alongside him. Then there's this one little caveat which I think is just, it's just, it's just a peek into our culture. And it, it shows his neighbor across the, the, the fence looking at Martin. And the statement in the commercial says, Martin got paid before his neighbor even got started. Like, oh, yeah, beat my neighbor, right? What? Who puts these commercials together? Why would they put that in there? Why don't they just say, hey, we're, we're, we're better than some other insurance companies? No, we've got we've to one-up people. We don't live in a humble culture. Who's the person you think of when you think of humility? Who's the person that just leaps to mind? And I, and I suppose it's, it's almost cliche to say this, but I will tell you, I always think of Mother Teresa when I think of, of, of humility. My wife and I traveled to Eastern Europe uh, on vacation last September, and we uh, went to Skopje, the capital of North Macedonia. North Macedonia is once a part of Albania, but Mother Teresa was born in Skopje, and we went to the house. Well, it wasn't the house. It was a plaque where her house once stood, and uh, there, there she was born, and uh, across from the hotel where we stayed was a little chapel that commemorated Mother Teresa. You could go in and you look at some, some uh, things that she had written. <clears throat> you go up in the second floor, there was a little almost frightening. There was like this wax statue, this real life statue of Mother Teresa. Just there, you'd expected her to move at any time. But she was so short, she was like 4'10", and uh, she has a, a, a marvelous story. 1929, she goes to Darjeeling, India, and she teaches uh, in, in schools, our Catholic schools, for 20, almost 20 years. And uh, in the late 1940s, uh, 1948 exactly, she walks the streets of, of 
Calcutta, and she says there was a call within a call. And she was called, she believes, by, by the Lord to minister to the poor. And you know a lot of that story. She began the Missionaries of Charity in 1950. Today there are over 5,000 sisters, 450 brothers in, in these ministers, Missionaries of Charity. They have 600 missions around the world in 120 countries. She basically served the poor and dying, the people that, that were dying on the streets of Calcutta. She gave them dignity and, and comfort as, as um, they died in 1979, 50 years after she set foot on India, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Interesting woman. In this series, uh, Gary uh, introduced already, Undone, we're, we're taking a look at what the church has traditionally called the seven deadly sins and then the antidotes to those life-destroying qualities. And last week, as Gary said, we talked about pride and uh, the whole aspect of pride and it, that it involves self-sufficiency, substance, I have more than you do, I, I, I'm more of a substantive person than you, and, and superiority. And pride, we, we discovered, is actually the sin from which all others emanate. But today we're looking at the antidote. We're looking at hum humility. It's interesting. This is the only sermon topic that you'll never be able to know whether or not you've achieved it. You say, I don't know if that disappoints you or not. But when you get to the point where you go, wow, that was a humble thing, you just blew it when you said it, Right? The old quip, uh, Humility and How I Attained It, that book, right? Oh, it, it, it just doesn't quite work. When you, when you get to the point where you think you've made it, you, you, you've lost it. It's like that bar of soap that slips out of your hands in the, in the shower. So I can't say to you, go out there and be humble. But I can, I think, through the words and example of Scripture, um, encourage you toward the whole concept of humility. I promise, I'm going to make a promise to you. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to let you know the secret of humility. I don't know if you're dying to know it, but I'm going to give you the secret, okay? I'm going to give you the secret of humility. I have a simple definition that I want to work off, off um, in terms of humility. Humility is the state of being where you are not self-focused. Humility is the state of being where you are not self-focused. Last week, we looked at a man, a man by the name of Naaman. And uh, Naaman, uh, his story is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's also in your bulletins, the passage we'll be reading. But let me just, for those of you who weren't here last week, or by way of reminder, if you were, let me just uh, bring you up to speed with this story of this man called Naaman. Where the, the year is approximately 840 B.C. Uh, Naaman is a great uh, general in, in this kingdom that is north and, and uh, east of Israel called Aram. And uh, the uh, Aramean kingdom evolved into the Assyrian kingdom, great kingdoms of that time, to the Babylonian and Persian. It, it, all these kingdoms were, were intersected in, in the history of Israel. But Aram is, is the kingdom that Naaman is from, and he's the number two man in this great kingdom. The king is there, and then it's him. He's a general. And uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 uh, says he's a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded. He had everything going for him. He was powerful, he was wealthy, and, and he had uh, great influence. 
but uh, in the last phrase of, of verse 1, he had leprosy. He had a disease. And we talked about uh, what happened as, as he uh, came to the point where, where he, he couldn't find anyone to help him. I'm sure he went to all the physicians that his, his country had to offer, all the medical advice, nothing uh, availed him. And uh, his wife's servant girl, who was captured on a raid from Aram into Israel, brought back this, this Israeli young girl. Uh, she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, uh, if only my master would go and see the prophet in Israel. And the prophet in Israel was a man by the name of Elisha. So Naaman goes. Naaman, Naaman goes, first of all, the king of Israel. He has no idea what's going on. Um, uh, Naaman is, is disappointed that the king can't help him. But Elisha gets word that the king is, is in great agony because he thinks this is a trip, uh, trick and, and, and he's being set up by this kingdom. And Elisha sends word, says, hey, have him come to me, and uh, we'll pick up our story uh, in verse 8 of, of uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a, message to, to, a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Here, here Naaman comes with his entourage. He's got chariots. He's got horsemen. This, he's got wealth. Uh, we talked about last week, he, the wealth in, in silver and gold is about $1.2 million in today's uh, currency. I mean, it, it, was, it was a show. And here he shows up at Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come to the door to greet him. He just sends a messenger, tells him what to do. Here's Naaman's response. Verse 11, Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abena and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He is not pleased. All this way, all this trouble, all this concern, and now he's furious. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. <clears throat> then his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is a God. No God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. I can take you back in my mind's eye to Christian Fellowship Church in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, we, this group of, of people, bought an old medical library 
the second floor of it was the auditorium. The first floor was, was divided in classrooms. I can take you back to the furthest back classroom, the primary department, where, where we had the marvelous technical advantage of seeing stories on a flannel graph board. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember flannel graph. It's a piece of felt over a board and they're, they're, they're cut out figures and, they would, and, and our teachers would tell the story uh, by, by uh, showing these figures and sticking them on this flannel graph board. And I remember the story of Naaman clearly. I remember the teacher, I don't remember exactly who she was, but she was very dramatic. And, she, and I remember her saying Naaman finally went down to the River Jordan. And he went down once, and he came up and wasn't clean. Went down twice, came up, and he wasn't clean. Three times, four times, five times, and we're all in our seats listening. But there was the seventh time. He went down the seventh time, came up, and he was clean. Obvious miracle. Naaman wasn't going to participate in this silliness, but finally he's convinced. Naaman goes from this state of being prideful to a state of humility. And I think there, there, there are four things in Naaman's life that I think we can draw from when it, when it comes to this whole topic of humility and uh, how, how we can be moving in that direction. First thing is, is Naaman... Experience the humility of listening. The humility of listening. And it, it's fascinating uh, to me when, when I read this story and when I reviewed it that Naaman's humility didn't start when he went to the Jordan. It actually started, and, and there's a mix of pride and humility obviously in this, but he listened to a servant girl. Can you imagine? This girl probably no more than 12, 13 years of age. But he's got this disease, and he listened to a young child, a servant girl. There's humility when you listen. I counsel couples often, and couples will come into my office, and they will be involved in you know, trying to resolve conflicts, and I'll have them talk back and forth, or they just talk back and forth on their own. The husband will be speaking, and then the wife and the husband... And uh, you know what the problem is many times when there's conflict? Is there's the inability to listen. Because the spouse that is silent is not listening. He or she is reloading. They're trying to figure out, okay, what, how am I going to respond? What's going to be my argument? There is humility when you come to a place where, where you really want to say, okay, I really want to listen to what you have to say. Naaman listened to a young girl. And further on, he listens to his servants, people who weren't powerful, weren't tremendously influential, but he listened to them. Um, Reminding you of, of, of children, I, I, have I showed you any pictures of my grandchildren lately? You'd like to see some pictures. When, of course you would. They're my grandchildren. I've got one picture. Um, this is this is my family. I just had turned 70 in December, and uh, uh, they're all they all look happy there, don't they? This is this is um, uh, my far left is my son-in-law, and then my daughter next to him, uh, then me with a full head of hair there, and then my wife, um, who's holding our youngest granddaughter, my daughter-in-law Allie, and my son Chris 
uh, back row far right. But my grandchildren are in the uh, front there. Uh, Fiona, uh, age nine. Charlotte, age 10. Zoe, who just turned 13, has got the stocking cap on. Mabel, five, pistol. I'm just a pistol. And uh, then my grandson, who just at the age of 11 has, has peaked out at 5'10". We've got an MBA contract ready for him to go. Um, that's my only grandson. Keller is his name. And um, I show you this picture in part because my daughter and son-in-law, when they moved to Elmhurst about three years ago, uh, have been looking for church. When they lived in Orlando, they came to Summit. They love Summit. They're trying to find a Summit-esque church, and, and sometimes it's hard to find churches that you really can feel at home in. So they've gone from church to church and, and uh, had some struggles and, and not really been able to plug in the way they want. My grandson at the, uh, in, in October looked at my uh, daughter and said, Mom, he said, can we go to City View Church here in Elmer's? So they'd never gone to this church. My grandson had some friends that attended that church, and he heard about it. He said, let's, let's try here. And my daughter said, I was just ready to dismiss him out of hand, but I thought, you know, we need to try. And they went to this church, and um, they were blessed with uh, some really good teaching and some really good fellowship, and now are, are members of that church. Why? Initially, because my daughter listened to her child. There's humility in listening. Do you listen? We need to listen to God. We need to listen to the other people in our lives. Naaman listened. Second thing, there's humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. All his wealth, all his power, here he is. He is beset with a disease that is not curable. He has leprosy, a, a, a disease that attacks the, the nervous system. And it's not painful, but it is destructive. And your body basically will decay because it can't register pain any longer. And, and your body begins to, to uh, react in a bad way, obviously, to that. There's humility, isn't there, in being ill? I, uh, in November, I woke up one, one night. Well, I didn't wake up. I tried to go to bed. It was 9.30 at night, this pain in, in the middle of my chest. And I've had heart surgery, so I'm, you know, I'm a little bit sensitive to any chest pains. And uh, I thought, well, maybe it'll go away, but it just got worse and worse. And 11 p.m., my wife's asleep. I had to wake her up. I said, hon, we got to go to the hospital. I went to the hospital, checked out my heart. Heart's okay. She said, it's probably your gallbladder, and it was. And um, they, did, they were doing tests. This is now in the early morning hours. And, and uh, they gave me this wonderful pain medication intravenously, and it just, the pain just went away. I was just, I'm, I'm cured. It's wonderful. And they said, you probably need to have it out, and we can do it uh, you know, later on today. And I said, no, I, I feel fine now. And uh, then the pain medication wore off. I spiked a temperature of 103. I'm sh shivering on, on the uh, gurney. And uh, they said, oh, yep, it's going to have to come out. There is humility in that. When they cart you away and go in the operating room, it's, I'm just, I'm, I am following the advice of the, the medical professionals around me. There's humility in Naaman's obedience. Humility for him to travel from Aram to Israel. Humility for him to go to that 
house of Elisha, humility for him to finally go down to the Jordan. And, and it's so interesting that he just didn't say, dip there and you're done. There's seven times. Why, why, why seven? We don't know. But humility is a process, and that obedience was a process. And it was all a reminder to Naaman that he's not in control of his life. And that control needs to be yielded up to others and ultimately to God. Humility in listening, humility in obedience. There's humility in gratefulness. Naaman goes back to Elisha. Now Elisha comes out. He gets to meet Elisha finally. And he says, I, I, I will have gifts. I have all this gold. I have all this silver. I have 10 changes of clothes, which I think is great. The scripture includes that. So, you know, Elisha could have had a closet full of clothing. Elisha says, nope, I don't want any of it. I won't accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he, he, uh, he refused. But then it goes on in verse 17. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Now, now, now Naaman is grateful. And here's where we see, I think, the greatness of this man. He goes back to the man who humiliated him, wouldn't even come to the door to have a person-to-person -person interaction, just told him what to do through his servant. And he humbles himself by his gratitude to Elisha, but more importantly, by his gratitude to God. There is no God in all the world except in Israel, Naaman says. There's humility in being grateful. I, my son-in-law, whom I love dearly, has this one tradition that he faithfully carries out Whenever there's a gift that we give them or anything that he receives from us, my son-in-law is careful to send a handwritten thank you note. There is humility and gratefulness. It means a lot when those thank you notes come. I was thinking of Naaman here, but I was also fast forward another probably 870 years from this point to Jesus' ministry here on, on this earth. In Luke uh, chapter 17, Jesus is traveling, Luke says, on the border of Samaria and Israel. Samaria was, was the uh, land now at, that, at Jesus' time where all the, the, the Jewish nation that intermarried with the Assyrians and, 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 and the people from Aram came back, and they had this this this. this Jewish religion light, different, different theological viewpoints. And in, in, in Israel, Jewish people did not like Samaritans. Jesus is traveling this border, and there are ten lepers that call from afar. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus turns to them, calls out, says, go, go show yourselves at the temple, and, uh, and you're going to be okay. And, and Scripture says, as they were going to the temple, they were made clean, all ten of them. One, one of those ten, realizing that he'd been cleansed, turns in his tracks and goes back to Jesus, falls on his knees in front of Jesus and thanks him. You know who that one was? It was a Samaritan. And Jesus says, oh, 
Where, where are all the other nine? And this foreigner, he calls him a foreigner, has come back, just like Naaman. There's one who has the humility of gratefulness. And Naaman, in this one response, proved to be more faithful than the vast majority of the people of Israel. Here's this non-Jewish man now convinced that there's, there's no God but the God of Israel, and he is faithful to him. He gave credit where credit was due. Humility to listen, humility of obedience, humility of gratefulness, and the last one is the humility in worship. And he has this curious thing. He, he says, hey, I want to, I want, can I take some dirt back? Is that just interesting? He says, I'm, I, I want to, to be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifice any other god but the Lord. What's, what's the point there? He's taking this dirt back so he can use that soil to build an altar as he makes sacrifices to, to now the God that he knows has cured him. And then he goes on to say, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimen to bow down to this pagan God, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimen, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha responds and says, go in peace. I think Naaman sort of rounds out the sterling example of what humility is all about. It's about worship. Whom do you worship? It's about honoring our creator above ourselves and above all others. There's a gift of corporate worship that we experience when we come here together. Because there is humility in worship. We are singing and proclaiming words and thoughts that honor God and, and uh, show that, that we are his creation. I was uh, at a uh, Wild at Heart boot camp. John Eldridge puts these on. They're, they're weekends for men, extended weekends. Does them twice a year in Colorado. And I was there, and about 450 men uh, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, John Eldridge gets up and says, hey, you know, we're here. Um, we might as well uh, use this time for a little bit of worship. There was no instrumentation, no, no band or anything. He just put on the overhead, he, he just on the screen, he puts the words of song that we all recognize. And 450 men spontaneously began singing these songs of worship. And it was remarkable. It just was wonderful. I remember this sense of, of awe and the sense of, oh, here, here are men lifting their hands and worshiping God. And it's a wonderful act of humility. So he does these two important things. He takes dirt back to Israel and he asks for forgiveness for a pagan ritual that he's required to be involved in. Whom will you worship? You can worship yourself. We probably would never put it that way, but we're prone to do it. We're prone to be self-sufficient. We're, we're prone to be people who, who want to accumulate and be people of substance. We're, we're prone to be people who want to be better than others, superior. But Naaman shows us this step of humility, this humility of worship. So, 
Here's the Christian definition of humility. I gave you mine. Humility is the state of being where you're not self-focused, but here's the addition, but you are Christ-focused. You're Christ-focused. And here's the secret. I promised you the secret. Here's the secret of humility. If you have your eyes on Jesus, you won't have to worry about being humble. It will take care of itself. It's where your focus is. If it's on me, ah, it's it. stumble into pride. If it's on him, I have a path to humility. Mother Teresa has a lot of quotes. And one of the quotes I like, she says, I'm Albanian by birth. I'm Indian by citizenship. Uh, as to religion, I'm a Catholic nun. And then she says, as to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. And I think Mother Teresa's humility centers in on, on that walk and relationship she had with Jesus. She also made this statement, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you're happy, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Do your best anyway. And then she ends it this way. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. She had her eyes on Jesus. Let's bow our heads, please. Prayer. I'd like to end a little bit differently today. I'd like us to take some time of reflection, just, just a minute or so. And I'd like you to focus on maybe the thing that's challenging you most now in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that's hurtful. Maybe it's a job that's frustrating or maybe no job at all. Maybe it's a health concern. Situation with your parents, situation with your children. Whatever it is, put that in your mind's eye. And I'd like you to ask God silently in your heart to see that challenge through the eyes of Jesus. Bring Jesus into it. And as you bring him into that, realize two things. You don't do this just to have that problem fixed. Sometimes those problems cannot be fixed, at least not right away. But seeing that through Jesus' eyes hopefully is an insight into what Jesus is doing in you, what he's doing in me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this man. Thank you for the things that we can learn. I pray for myself, each man and woman here, that we would understand more fully who you are and that you would lead us in the path of humility. I pray this in the man, the one who was the greatest example of humility that ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.